0: It's a combination of being allowed to be fully human, because humans make mistakes and our voices crack, but also being able to transcend and go to some other level.
1: You're listening to the Liquid Architecture Podcast. Sonia Hollowell is a vocalist, composer, writer, and educator of Darawal Inuit descent. Her work spans many contexts and takes multiple forms with improvisation as a primary approach. Close collaborator, writer, and experimental musician James Hazel unfurls the complex weavings of Hollowell's nuanced approach to vocal composition and improvisation in Dancing on the Margins, the manifold minor voci of Sonia Hollowell, published on Liquid Architecture's online journal. Opening with descriptions of Hollowell's country, of the Darawal Nation, Wollongong, where she lives, Hazel then goes on to trace her numerous collaborations, from art music ensembles and string quartets, operatic ensembles and choirs, through to improvised groups such as Polymorphic Orchestra and the Splinter Orchestra, as well as the quasi-cyberpunk, voice and synth project Some Conduit, founded with fellow composer Ben Carey. Today on the podcast, Sonia Hollowell talks through how her voice as the instrument anchors her body through multidisciplinary practice, the freedom improvisation contains in allowing mistakes to further creativity, and the use and disuse of scores and notation.
0: I'm Sonia Hollowell and I'm a singer and composer and writer now too. I'm currently doing a master's in writing specifically, so sort of officially considering myself a writer these days as well. I think firstly just being immersed in my dad's music growing up, that's got to be like my earliest sort of memories. So even before I started getting singing lessons or anything like that, I was just always around experimental music and particularly free improvisation. Just sort of witnessing my dad do it all the time. So I think that was very formative. Sort of had a few singing lessons in high school, but didn't really take it that seriously. I was just sort of trying to figure out all the other aspects of life. It wasn't until I was roughly about 25 that I decided to do an undergrad degree in classical voice. It was during that degree that I got exposed to quote-unquote new music or contemporary classical music and that's where um, I started to readjust my expectations because I'd been having classical voice lessons for a while and I kind of just assumed that that would maybe lead into opera. I didn't actually know that there was all this contemporary classical stuff out there. So once I was exposed to it, I just really got into it and then at the same time I was getting into a lot of really early music as well. So it was funny, I sort of was um, playing at the historical poles, really early medieval kind of stuff and then more contemporary 20th, 21st century music. It was just kind of weird that I found myself in this classical world. The thing that made sense about it was that it's been a big theme in my family to have done training as classical musicians and to now be practising. So I was sort of following suit based on what other people in my family have done and the fact that I could sort of perform in that idiom myself. And I do appreciate classical music as well, but it's just it's never the thing that I retreat back to that I return to. I don't think it's ever felt particularly natural for me. Joining the Splinter Orchestra, that was the kind of the environment where I started to really experiment with my voice more fully as an instrument. That strange fading indigo the new It's cancelling reveal. Out and out point is my body. So these don't feel like really disparate things because they're all contained in me. It's just like if you imagine like a gemstone with all these different facets, it's just about pivoting for me. And everyone's complex and intersectional anyway. But I don't ever feel like I can stay in one posture for too long because I lose that sense of holisticness. I don't feel fulfilled, I guess, if I'm sort of in just one posture the whole time. But I'm always looking for something conceptual to latch onto. It's the conceptual provocation is the thing that everything grows out from. The classical sphere is a bit different though because for example, if I'm given a score, that's very different. And I think that's like the most fixed that I ever have to be in my life is when I'm, I've been given a score that's like fully notated using Western notation. And I've always found that very challenging. And its I think I've identified it's because of how fixed I have to be for the whole duration of the performance. It's like I have to have a consistency of selfhood and of tone. There's all of these other things that have to be consistent and I find that really hard to do. And I'm not necessarily so conceptually driven in those performances either. It's, it's about kind of executing a vision that is largely driven by someone else. The parameters, I just don't have as much wiggle room, I guess. I can't be so instinct-led because my instincts might be wanting to interrupt the whole thing with something really strange and I can't do that. <laughs> Whereas in improvising, in those sorts of spheres, it's like I can kind of follow whatever instinct I have. The one commonality between all of it is just finding that point of the voice and the the resonating chambers in my body and actually coming back to that place of of resonance in myself. It's, It's just purely physical. That's always a consistent thing. Thank you With the improvising practice, I've sort of found a way to do something that feels actually very vulnerable and private and do it in front of others. And I've found that, you know, if I just kind of disappear a bit, which is what I do privately anyway, if I'm sort of getting into a zone, I'm it's a bit sort of dissociative. So it's about just finding a way to feel safe enough to enter that same kind of place just with some people sitting there in front of me because that distinction between private and public can really get in the way of feeling liberated and making liberated sounds because of, you know, self-consciousness and nerves and stuff. So it's just been about trying to hack, (laughs) hack myself in that way so that it feels like it's just business as usual and it's just, I'm just in my room or something and now actually sort of moving towards actually enjoying the public and the sharing aspect of it. I actually quite enjoy that. It's just this sense of predetermined right and wrong can just evoke a lot of anxiety. I don't really feel that before an improvised performance because I have this kind of safety net of knowing, well, I can do some really technically difficult stuff, but only if I want to, and just say I botched it, no one would know. (laughs) And I could turn that mistake into something interesting and I could play with it and I could exploit it for its sort of textural characteristics and whatever, you know, like the dreaded kind of voice crack (laughs) that, you know, every classical singer would just, it's the worst thing ever. But if I did that in an improvised setting, I could just repeat it a few times and people would think, whoa, like, look at that control, (laughs) when it was actually born out of a so-called failing to achieve something that I spontaneously wanted to do. It's a combination of being allowed to be fully human, because humans make mistakes and our voices crack and it's a thing that happens, but also being able to transcend and go to some other level. It's a different type of creativity that's manifested in the moment and it's a type of resourcefulness, I think. But it allows you to, at the same time, be fully human and work with your imperfections so that they're not deemed some sort of compromise. But it's like that idea of beauty out of ashes kind of thing. Like you can actually make something not just good enough out of your mistakes but something far more interesting, actually, than maybe what you'd previously hoped for, and if it doesn't quite happen and I turn it into something else, that something else could be beyond what I'd initially thought was possible. It's me surprising myself that really is one of the most fulfilling things about improvisation, is being surprised by other people's contributions as well. geometry to frame the
1: stream of innocence be held as surfaces of ourselves splintered into slivers of grief.
0: I've been producing electronic music for a really long time, maybe a bit over 15 years. And that's just always been this private thing that I've done that I've never felt a strong urge to kind of have it validated externally in any way. It's like a a very centering kind of thing. If I've found myself on tours where I'm singing super classical kind of stuff After the performances, I'll go back to my room and just put on my headphones and work on my my beats (laughs) as a way to just try to find some balance again. Everything else is generally a collaboration with other people. If I'm improvising, I'm particularly reliant on other people's contributions because that's the material that I'm responding to in the moment it sort of brings me outside and beyond the limitations of my own thinking and my own sort of even aesthetic leanings and defaults and patterns and things like that. The challenge for me is to be able to sort of find some sort of homeostasis with other people. And the mode of improvisation, I think, makes a really good case for the fact that that's possible. It's possible to find common ground with anyone and everyone through that process of deep listening, asserting your individuality but within a sort of a bigger meta picture. This sense of liberation and not not having to be fixed and for some people it's just really feels quite unnatural to have to stay in a sort of a fixed mode. Intersectionality makes it, particularly unnatural and it really kind of pushes back against this dumb idea of like the jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing, which is just so untrue and unhelpful that you've just sort of got to pick one thing and go super hard, don't look to the left or the right. I don't believe that in order to be a so-called expert you can't get distracted I mean, I don't even really believe in the idea of distraction artistically. If it's sort of an intuitive gut-led kind of thing, and if you follow it, then you're just carving out a path that is actually very connected and very logical. It's just not necessarily a straight line, but it doesn't mean it's not connected and flowing. With being so conceptually driven, And operating in these kind of high art spheres, there can be a tendency to want to be clever all the time. (laughs) The thing with Danger Dancer is that we still don't know what it is. I've become really keen on that feeling of not knowing what it is that I'm doing. That to me is proof that I'm on a threshold of something that is actually new for me. If I can't really explain it properly yet and I can't even really rate it, is this good or what? Is this bad? We don't even have a value system to sort of project onto it yet. That's how new it is for me. That's how Danger Dancer has felt and that's Hugely a product of my friendship with James and just who he is because I think we bring that out of each other. We both push each other into the margins of each of our practices and in doing that we sort of stumble forth into this really strange territory and we both love not knowing what it is and where we are and how to market it. And I've just noticed a difference between how that sort of work feels versus how the really clever conceptual stuff feels that you can, you know, I can write a nice page on the conceptual basis for the work and I know it's going to tickle people's ears and people are going to stroke their chins and be like, hmm, yes. Like it's not intellectually stimulating but intellectually neat and comprehensible. I think with Danger Dancer there's a messiness there. And because we're not doing it for anyone other than ourselves, we haven't put a kind of pressure on that project to have any kind of capitalistic um, merit to it. It flows into everything else that I do now. If you can't yet really find a language for something but you can feel in your gut that you've struck something but you don't know what it is, that's a really interesting place to be making work from. hands mark time Illuminating the surface The soil from my father's garden Illusions created by the projection Cause the granules to sparkle and shift bring oh, our perception of the seen and unseen some other challenges with improvising like it's really about setting the stage making sure that it's provocative enough so like you're sort of setting up possibilities of things in your environment to respond to or metabolize and it's about just getting into the right frame of mind it's hugely contingent upon that so I have a bit of a a process now it's it's a lot more kind of natural for me to just flip into that mindset now. It's like a heightened, it's like a weird sort of heightened state that I need to get into. Some of the scores that I have been working from myself have been text provocations. So using my own writing as a score. The last time I did that was with Ben in Some Conduit. I just used this text score, it's called Valve is Released. And it's just this kind of brainstorm, mind-mappy type thing of all these different words. And I used that as a score recently with Ben and we recorded it. And, yeah, it's just like basically this just setting up all of these possibilities. And it gives me a nice external provocation because up until relatively recently I've been very used to having everything be really internally generated especially when I play with him and then particularly when it comes to words, kind of just letting them bubble up from the subconscious. Sometimes they're never fully formed but there can be quite a sort of tentativeness in doing things that way and having these external provocations, whether it be an artwork or words, kind of breaks me out of that that sort of vulnerable interior way of creating. It's just a sort of energetic shift, I think, that it can facilitate. I mean, how I define score is always going to be really very broad, and I kind of want to keep it that way. I can imagine that that would be very exciting to know that as a composer, your work is going to be interpreted in such widely varying ways. That's what I like about composing as well, it's speaking to that idea of wanting to be surprised by other people's interpretations and contributions that are always going to break me out of my own limitations. Some more recent work that I've been doing for the song company has actually seen me, by choice, composing pretty fully notated scores, like using Western notation, and that was something I didn't think I was going to do. I thought I was going to be composing sort of graphic or textual scores for the singers but I ended up wanting to experiment with using western notation and having it be quite, at the times, very, very meticulously notated.
1: Dancing on the margins, the manifold minor voci of Sonia Hollowell is available to read on Liquid Architecture's online journal, Disclaimer. Find the link in our show notes. This podcast was produced by Mara Schretfeger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognise that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders' past and present. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. You can support our podcast and online journal Disclaimer through a Patreon subscription for as little as $5 a month. Find the link in our show notes.